January 1st, 2019, a wildfire that had already burned about a thousand acres of just woods jumped over our fire protection belt and, and burnt up 15,000 plus moringa trees. 2020 was a tough year for all business owners, but for Moringa Connect's Kwame Williams, that fire was just one of a series of disasters that stretched all the way back into 2019. I realized when I looked at the jar of ashes and I looked at the videos of our factory burning that it was so crucial for me and I think really any entrepreneur to figure out who they are separate from what they do. It's hard enough being an entrepreneur in the best of times. So how do you prepare for when everything goes sideways? Is your company resilient? Are you? I'm Darius Teeter, and this is Grit and Growth with Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and India's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs with insights from Stanford faculty and global experts on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. Today, we meet Kwame Williams, co-founder and CEO of a Ghanaian company, Moringa Connect. Kwame is grit personified. In piloting his company through multiple crises, he has discovered firsthand the building blocks that make a resilient founder and enterprise, and they're not what you might expect. We caught up with Kwame to break down the surprising psychology of grit and how to lead when you're hit with crisis after crisis. And we'll talk to Stanford professor Brian Lowry on how you can build those skills yourself. Kwame Williams is a Ghanaian-American MIT graduate who co-founded Moringa Connect in 2013 with classmate Emily Cunningham. A social agriculture venture, Moringa Connect aims to capitalize on the many uses of the native Moringa tree and change how value is added to raw materials on the African continent. From the outset, Kwame saw a potential opportunity that could also help Ghanaian farmers. First and foremost, uh, we are a team of people that are passionate and on a mission to take underutilized crops like Moringa and use them in a way that improves the lives of farmers who grow it, as well as create good for you, good for the earth products um, in health, in wellness, and in personal care. Over the past six years of operations and seven years of being a registered business, um, we've built a vertically integrated supply chain that serves 5,000 plus farmers here in Ghana, has planted over 2 million trees uh, here in Ghana, forced in communities, and as well has created our flagship brand, True Moringa, to be retailed in both online and um, as well physical retailers in the U.S. Um, and around the world. It wasn't always Kwame's plan to run an agricultural company, let alone one in Africa. I understand that you were classically trained as an aerospace engineer, that you went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the United States, and that you also even did an internship at NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in the U.S. So how does an aerospace engineer make this massive pivot and get excited about trees? <laughs> Um, to be completely honest, the journey from aerospace to now agriculture um, was uh, one that shocks me to this day. I just grew up in love with and passionate about anything that flew. Um, so I was a kid that was breaking everyone's toys because I was trying to figure out how it worked. And then I was also the kid who was running around saying, hey, there's a bird. Hey, there's a helicopter. Hey, there's a plane. What ultimately took me from that passion and took me from the intern at NASA and, and schooling 
schooling um, at MIT studying aerospace was, was a foundational trip back to Ghana. Um, I left Ghana when I was in the fourth grade, and after 10 years, I had the opportunity to return. And I got to see rural poverty for the first time. I, I got to live with people um, who were only had one meal a day, who had challenges accessing good health care, who had challenges accessing quality education. And I realized that the development statistics that had been sort of jaded by or that become callous to were now people I cared about. And that sparked a desire to figure out, is there a way to leverage what I've been blessed with at MIT to actually now start working with people to improve their livelihoods? When you went back to Ghana, was it just totally weird or did you feel like I'm coming home again? And I ask because I think we've all been reading about there's actually quite an interesting return of the diaspora back to Ghana. The first time I came back to Ghana, I experienced culture shock. I was traveling. I was the only black person and the only Ghanaian person as part of a group of like 30 um, Americans. And to the Americans, I was Ghanaian. To the Ghanaians, I was American. I was like, well, <laughs> I clearly don't belong in, in either world at this point. And so it, was, it took a t um, some time for me to just embrace the reality that I had a foot in both worlds. Um, and that um, I could, rather than complain about it, I should start thinking about how to leverage that um, in making connections between both worlds. During the class trip, the second time I came back, um, during that class trip that changed my path from aerospace to agriculture, I, I really got to see how being purposeful about using a foot in both worlds could actually give me a new identity, right? Right. and move me away from just feeling awkward and weird and, and, and frustrated that I didn't quite fit in in either world. Given Kwame's background, perhaps it's not surprising that he was drawn to a plant that is both Ghanaian and global. Moringa Connects products all originate from the Moringa tree, which grows across Ghana, India, South Asia, and Central America. Moringas are inconspicuous. They have oval leaves that make the whole tree look just like an overgrown fern. And it's earned the nickname the drumstick tree for the thin seed pods that hang from its branches up to 18 inches long. The tree has other names too, like tree of life or the miracle plant. But as you might expect from an MIT trained engineer, Kwame was initially skeptical about claims of miracles. When I first learned about Moringa, farmers told me, hey Kwame, there's this tree called Moringa, it's this miracle tree. And I was like, hold up, hold up, let's, let's lower it back. I don't know about miracle tree. And they began to tell me all about it. So they shared how the leaves of the tree contain more iron than spinach, more calcium um, and protein than milk and yogurt. And I'm just like, whoa, this is extremely nutrient dense. And it didn't stop there. They went on to share how it's not only more nutritious than kale, but also the seeds of the tree contain this incredibly moisturizing oil um, that outperformed argan, coconut, and shea. And so by the end of the Moringa education, if you will, I had caught Moringa fever. Kwame and his co-founder, fellow MIT alumna Emily Cunningham, worked hard to develop their business and grow in a way that would bring value to the Ghanaians in their supply chain. Our value chain um, starts from the soils of Ghana and, and goes all the way to the shells of, of Whole Foods in the U.S. Uh, so here in Ghana, we first start by helping smallholder farmers in rural communities plant moringa trees. So typically they have one to five trees um, in their home and we help that, them expand to about 500 trees on an acre. 
Secondly, we form rural groups uh, with these farmers. So they have um, positive peers around them who are also engaged in the same cultivation activity. We're able to train and provide agronomy best practices. We're also able to provide financial literacy training so that as they earn more, they understand how to save it, how to invest it to improve their livelihoods. The next element is actually sourcing, um, purchasing their raw material. So Moringa seeds and Moringa leaves and bringing that to our facility here in Accra, Ghana to process into finished products. So we fundamentally believe that so much of agriculture has been done wrong from the continent where we export the raw material without any value addition on the ground. So we're intentional about taking the seeds and transforming that into oil, taking the leaves and transforming that into leaf powder. Now this is the part of the story where tragedy is about to strike. So to help us make sense of Kwame's decisions during that time of crisis, we're gonna hear from someone who is an expert on the psychology of leadership. I'm Brian Lowry, I'm a professor at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University. I am focused on the teaching of leadership. So I, I, I manage um, many of the experiential leadership education courses. Brian is a professor of organizational behavior and a social psychologist by training. He will push us to think deeply about what it means to lead. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. By the end of 2018, Moringa Connect had been around for almost five years. They'd established a network of 5,000 farmers and were preparing for their biggest year ever. But then disaster struck, or rather multiple disasters. I entered the year of 2019 really excited, saying this is our year to, to scale up and hit million dollar revenues. We had closed a multi-million dollar MOU and contract. And so there was just so much excitement and enthusiasm. And from the very first day of the year, the challenges began. So on January 1st, 2019, um, a wildfire that had already burned about a thousand acres of just woods jumped over our fire protection belt and, and burnt up 15,000 plus moringa trees. There were unfortunately 25 mile, uh, miles per hour wind gusts that helped it do that. So day one, I'm like, okay, this is, this is not the plan. Fast forward four months in April, um, a fire accidentally starts in one of our dehydrators and unfortunately expands and, and burns down um, our factory. Fast forward to September, uh, one of our, our colleagues um, actually has, suffers a health complication and passes away. In October, our farm is nested at the intersection of two rivers, and we're about 100 feet above the, the water level. The government's dam um, opened up and actually led to the water rising over 100 feet in a matter of hours and, and flooding um, parts of our farm. And then December, on Boxing Day, uh, December 26, while we're all just relaxing and, and, and saying, ah, the year is over, we can look ahead for something new, someone uh, burglars our, our office and steals like laptops and, and a bunch of other things from it. So that was 2019. To remind him of what he's been through, Kwame has a unique keepsake from that year, a symbol of the adversity that they've faced. In the aftermath of our fires, I asked our team, hey, I know we're demolishing like what's left, but I want you to gather some ashes from this burnt factory. 
Fire, floods, robbery. What was once a bustling factory now sat in a jar on his desk. Over 12 months, just about everything went wrong for Kwame. That kind of adversity can spell the end of any business. And the trouble wasn't over yet. We're thinking that 2020 was going to be this, this fresh start, right? Once again, filled with so much hope and excitement about a new year. And, um, and then COVID hits. And COVID pauses about 90% of how we historically have made money. And that was, you know, starting in March of 2020. And then fast forward to July of 2020, I actually get hit and experience um, a number of personal challenges. So I get sick with COVID and to be a bit more vulnerable, my wife and I actually end up having a miscarriage all in the same month and actually learn about both those things in the same week. And you fast forward a few more months. Um, so just in September of 2020, we end up realizing that um, we end up learning that Three of our staff were actually attacked by armed robbers in a, in a rural part of, of Ghana where we work. Um, they were targeting some other people, but unfortunately our vehicle passed through during that. And so it's just been a book out of, the, out of Job where we've had back-to-back -back crises and challenges, and, and we've had to learn, um, learn the hard way what it means to have grit. Over those two years, Moringa Connect was faced with every catastrophe imaginable. And each of these crises had obvious operational and financial consequences. But they also posed threats to the organization's foundational values and to Kwame on a personal and emotional level. Professor Brian Lowry is interested in what happens to a company and its management in crisis. I think what defines crisis is a breakdown of structure, a breakdown of I know how the world works, and right now, in this moment, you don't know how the world works. It's a, a taking away of certainty. When certainty is taken away, the companies that succeed are the ones who can operate in ambiguity. Professor Lowry says one trait that becomes highly valuable in unpredictable times is flexibility. The world is a dynamic place. The idea that any one thing is going to provide what you need across the range of situations you're likely to encounter seems like a fanciful idea to me. So the best practices are ones that are likely to give you the flexibility to engage in the situation based on the demands that you, you face. This is an area where Kwame benefits from his complex cultural background. Having a foot in both worlds gives him multiple perspectives, allowing him to be more adaptable and resilient. Understanding the complexity of the identities that you manage that exist within you and being able to draw upon them, I think that provides incredible strength. As a leader, I think being able to take multiple perspectives should be valuable. People have an idea of like, here's what it means to be a good leader, and then they try to go about creating whatever that profile is. And what I would say is there is no profile of a leader that works in all situations and all places. So to some extent, what you're looking for is flexibility. What range of behaviors is available to you? How many perspectives can you see? And what tools do you have at your disposal? And the greater that tool set, the more likely you are to be successful or the greater your chance of success. Leaders are often portrayed as stoic, decisive, fearless. But in the midst of catastrophe, when nothing is certain, that kind of leadership may not be what's required. In fact, an important facet of Kwame's leadership during crisis was admitting to his team that he didn't know which way to go. One of the things that's been amazing is 
is to acknowledge um, that life is hard. And then two, I just acknowledge the fact that I have no idea how to bounce back from this. So I, I just committed to vulnerability from the get-go. And I committed to communicating um, as, as much as possible from the get-go. No longer was there this like, Kwame has to be the Superman or my co-founder Emily has to be the Superwoman. It was, hey, all of us are in this together. In fact, vulnerability and openness are crucial to good leadership and not just during times of crisis. We use the term in our leadership course at SEED, um, post-heroic leadership. And if you always present yourself as the person who has to have all the answers, people stop providing ideas for answers. I wonder if there's something linking vulnerability to a post-heroic leader model where, and it's linked to trust, where you're, you're letting the team know that you don't have all the answers and you need a team approach to finding creative solutions. I would go back a step further, like, I don't even know why anybody would expect the leader to have even most of the answers. Like, I think if you're in that situation, that seems crazy to me. I don't understand. And, and I'll explain why it seems crazy to me. There's no way any one person can have expertise in the number of areas that even a mildly complicated organization um, needs to engage with. Right? There's just no way. Like you can't be the most financially expert, the most expert on the technical aspects of the organization, the most expert on the needs of the consumers, the most expert on supply chains. There's just no way. And you have the reason that organizations exist are to bring together people with different areas of expertise that allows you to achieve some larger goal. Like if you accept that as what an organization is, the leader is not the person with the answers. The leader is the person who brings people together to help figure out what the best answers are around a range of issues. So while your instinct may be to take on more of the burden, that's precisely when you need your team. If I could give one piece of advice to an early stage entrepreneur, I would tell them to build an amazing team of people who they could go to war with because the hard days, the bad days, the battles will come. This openness and honesty isn't just for the health of your business. Often the first thing to go when a company is in turmoil is the founder's own well-being. Two years of crisis brought home to Kwame the importance of his own emotional and physical condition. After all, a leader's ability to look after their company and their team depends in part on their ability to look after themselves. That is an incredible uh, list of setbacks. I don't know many businesses or business leaders that would be able to bounce back from that. You know, how did all these crises in 2019 affect you personally? I learned, um, unfortunately, the hard way that I was really bad at self-care. <laughs> And I had undervalued the importance of investing in my own mental health. And so um, by the time of the second fire, I realized um, that I was getting, you know, headaches constantly. I have a eczema, a type of eczema um, that flares up even more when I'm stressed. So that went through the roof. And I got to a point where uh, basically my, my loved ones, my, my amazing wife was just like, hey, like we... 
you can't keep this up. This is not sustainable. And that's when I began to hyper-focus on, on habits. I took the time to start investing in my physical health, guarded time with my wife, um, guarded time with loved ones. So I think the, the reality is that I had to acknowledge the pain. I had to go through seasons of crying, of being angry and being frustrated. And then I had to let that acknowledgement drive me to a place where I was being intentional about caring for my mind, for my body, for my soul, and being present with my loved ones. We think about when we invest money and, and the power of compounding interest. And I think there's a similar sort of analogy or parallel with the compounding gaze that come from small, consistent steps. And, you know, we lost over a million dollars worth of assets, lost revenue and product inventory. And so to bounce back from that, we had to say, all right, let's rework the business. At Moringa Connect, um, we value passion, integrity, excellence, and in light of the crises that we've gone through, we added a, a fourth value of being reliable, of uh, being consistent. But it wasn't enough just to be consistent. In the face of uncertainty, Kwame also had to be intentional. It's like when the lights go out, you don't just start running. You put on the brakes, you place one foot in front of the other, and you reach your arms out feeling for the wall. So much of how we've been able to be resilient in 2019, um, not to even get to 2020, um, has been just a conscious choice by our entire team to take intentional steps, intentional small steps, one day at a time. Let's pause for a second and let's ask ourselves the five whys. Like, why is this happening? What can we learn from it? Let's also pause and ask ourselves, what can we start? What can we stop? And what should continue? And we, once those ideas materialize, we just said, what is the smallest version of that that we can commit to and be consistent with? And that's been powerful for our entire team. It's been freeing for us. Um, it's helped us make intentional steps that have opened up incredible opportunities of growth uh, for the business. And it's also um, given us um, some amount of peace as we've had to make really, really hard decisions, painful decisions, um, as part of our resilience and recovery. If you look back at this absolutely amazing, I'm saying amazing in the sort of Chinese curse way, like a year of living, a year of, of great trials and tribulations, what's been the defining moment for you? When I look back at 2019 and 2020's trials and crises, there isn't a defining moment. I actually think we get too caught up in moments rather than in everyday choices. And so for me, it's, it's every single day that I wake up out of bed and just choose to try again. Um, it's every day that our farmers say, we're going to the farm and, and we're gonna take care of our trees. It's every time our, our colleagues are encouraging me that we can do this, um, that, that all isn't lost. For me, I, I think there's no singular event, but more um, just a culmination in a series of just small choices and small actions where all of us are saying, we've fallen down seven times, we'll get back up an eighth time. This narrowing of focus is key to making it through tough times. When the path becomes uneven, you don't have the luxury of the big picture. You have to concentrate on what's directly in front of you. For me, something like grit is, is a little bit in that category where it's, what do you value and how do you know if you're living by your values? 
right? And so that requires, I think, a constant refinement, right? A paying attention to what you're doing and then stepping back and assessing, like, is that really what I mean by courage? I mean, for me, I think the key distinction is grit doesn't mean you never change course. It's not like fear of quitting. It's that you have to be willing to re-examine. So if you put one foot in front of the other and forever head in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how much grit you're displaying, you're never getting anywhere. I think that's a great distinction. This is what I think people have to do. You have to constantly clarify and evolve your understanding of what these things are. In an uncertain time, Kwame needed something solid that he could rely on, and he found it in his faith. The first thing I actually sent to our team um, is as a passage from the Bible um, that says, I know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And I, I put the emphasis on I know because sometimes we can wish for things to go well, but there's certain um, certainty about that verse, a certain confidence, and, and I, love, I love this version of faith. Faith is just trust and action. I trust the chair, so I act, I sit on it. Um, so I, I trusted the truth of that. That's, that's really remarkable. You know, the, there's this story that if you, if you ask three bricklayers what they do, and if the first says he's laying bricks, you know, he he's just has a job. If he says he's building a church, then he has a career. And if he says he's building the house of God, then he's really found his calling. As we think about this question of, of faith uh, for me, it is absolutely essential to who I am. And I think that our crises actually intensified and amplified my commitment to making it a part of my everyday and a part of not just who I am personally, but also how I lead our team. I realized when I looked at the jar of ashes and I looked at the videos of our factory burning that it was so crucial for me and I think really any entrepreneur to figure out who they are separate from what they do. When your entire identity is wrapped up in something that just disappears, when that thing goes, which happened for us, you get to a point where you have no idea who you are. You have no idea whether you get overwhelmed by just incredible, weighty, painful um, thoughts and emotions. And, and so for me, experiencing these crises became an opportunity to say, who am I beyond the co-founder and CEO of Moringa Connect? Though the crises that Kwame faced threatened the very life of his business, they also gave him cause for self-reflection. Why was he doing all of this in the first place? This kind of introspection is something that Brian Lowry says is important for all leaders. Why would anybody want to be a leader? Like why? Like what is the what is the why? Why should anybody? Why should anybody want to? Like what are people signing up for when they sign up to be a leader? Like are you signing up for? And, and, and there's no right or wrong answer. Is it that you want the adulation? You want to make a lot of money? You want to change the world in some way? But I just think it's worth really honest we're reflecting on like, what are you doing and why? What do you hope to achieve? And living your life in a way that's consistent with what you actually are trying to achieve. And like, you know, doing, being as honest as you can about that and, and looking at yourself, right? Like, what have you done? What did you do? What was the consequence of that? Based on that consequence, did you do it again or not? Like, you can learn something about yourself that way. Through reflection and a bit of reading, Kwame was able to solidify Moringa Connect's purpose. 
I was really encouraged by um, the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz in this season of crisis management. And he talks a lot about how when you, you have a crisis, really building a healthy culture really matters. Being, in his words, a good company is not just nice to have, but essential. And so we literally just went down to the, the fabric of saying, like, this is who we are. Missions to improve lives through Moringa. These are the values that we have. And how can we take these intentional steps together? Purpose could give you a North Star. But there is a catch. It can't just be an idea. To the people it affects, it has to be real. Your sense of purpose has to be their sense of purpose. Do organizations that have that type of purpose beyond uh, profit maximization, do they have some advantage or any advantage in a crisis? Does, does organizational purpose matter? Um, no. <laughs> what matters is how people in the organization experience the purpose. There's no, this organization has purpose, no. Do people experience it that way and in what context do they, right? So in, in a particular situation, if people are engaged with and feel connected to that purpose, does that matter? Is that helpful? Of course. But is it just because someone claims it's a purpose-driven organization? Does that necessarily make it better suited to get through a crisis? No. So are the values real and are you living them? Yeah. And, and it's not just are you living them. Are they real for the people that matter in this situation? Purpose can galvanize the community around you during a crisis. And for Kwame, this was the test. Moringa Connect had been built to help its farmers and employees while also generating a profit. So when the time came that Moringa Connect needed help, would that community and their financial backers be there to lend a hand? I think we've been really fortunate to, to have a community of investors uh, who largely invested from the onset because of our mission. Um, because they agreed that it is possible to take this underutilized tree moringa and use it to improve live, lives um, across Ghana. And so a large number of them, in response to the crisis, said, how can I help? And, and so it was putting new money. It was change existing loan terms. It was help talk to other investors who might be on the fence um, and, and really help them double down on their investments. And so we had over 90% of our investors rolled over, extended their loan terms for us at the end of 2019. Um, a really powerful example is that we decided and committed to run give back campaigns. So this is where we'll say, hey, customer um, base, um, hello, community, every purchase you make, we'll give 20% to a cause that we believe needs it. So in COVID, it was to um, health workers and providing PPE for them. It was to serve charities here in Ghana. And by the turn of the summer, it was also to support racial justice organizations. And we just said, we, we just want to do this because we believe these things are important. And the amazing thing is that revenue and purchases shot up like triple digits for each of those weeks um, where we ran these gift back campaigns. And so it was this big surprise where we're just saying, we're not doing this in any way to make money. We just believe that these organizations should receive support. And the pleasant surprise was that um, as we committed to doing good, um, more and more people committed to supporting our brand and, and, and our causes. What's amazing about your story is even as you're facing a 90% reduction in revenue, you're making a proactive decision 
to take some percentage of whatever revenue you can recover and plow it into giving back to the community and not just the Ghanaian community, but the global community. I think that's that's kind of a daring and remarkable move. I understand when Nike does that or the NFL or, you know, a Fortune 500 brand, you know, tries to jump on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon and and get a little bit of washing with it. I, you know, you don't actually hear that from struggling brands that are just getting started. So kudos to you for doing that. And would you say that within your whole value chain that your employees and your farmers were on the same page with respect to that? I would say that our entire value chain, everyone was was committed on saying, um, how can we not just survive, but how can we also be helpful um, in this season? Um, we had, and this is this moved me to tears. I, I had um, colleagues of mine who, before we were even talking about any changes in salary, just said, hey, I can go the next two months without uh, pay. And like people were volunteering ways to not just support the business, but support the larger mission. And I think that was really special for me because it, it helped me realize that um, this is the fruit of being purposeful from the beginning as a company and that people were committed to um, our mission of improving lives, irrespective of the personal sacrifice that it was gonna cost. So we've talked about flexibility, vulnerability, and purpose, as well as the importance of moving intentionally. But what does it all add up to? Well, if Moringa Connect is any indication, you end up with a more resilient business, one that's prepared to weather the bad times, but also to take advantage of the good ones. So as soon as um, we applied this framework of start, stop, continue to 2020, um, a few really big things um, popped out. So one, we knew we needed to talk to our investors uh, to change their investment terms to buy us more time. Two, uh, we knew that we needed to find and unlock new revenue channels. And so my co-founder, Emily Cunningham, started to, to explore other channels that we had historically just never doubled down on. So specifically, we said, let's hyper-focus on our true Moringa brand online in the US. Let's start investing in digital advertising on Amazon and on our Shopify website. And then as well, let's start pitching our brand to subscription boxes who typically buy a bunch of products from smaller brands and curate a box that goes out to a customer. And these intentional steps began to work. So sort of this compounding benefit of these small consistent steps. Uh, so we close our first subscription box order and then we close another one. And, and, and yeah, em Emily leads that charge uh, to the point that thanks to subscription boxes, thanks to online revenue growth, um, we're actually growing triple digits in 2020. So we've more than doubled 2019's revenue and more in light of these steps. Kwame Williams had two years right out of the book of Job to use his own words. And yet he outlasted companies that were bigger, older, and richer than Moringa Connect. He managed to do so by leading with intention and leaning on his team, his faith, in the values that he had established at the company. He took small, consistent steps instead of big swings. Since we last spoke, Moringa Connect's flagship brand, True Moringa, has taken off. They've increased revenue by almost 150% and diversified their revenue channels. You can find their products on the shelf across New England in Whole Foods, nationwide in Pharmaca, and sold online through their Shopify website, Amazon, and Costco. 
True Moringa is poised to raise their first equity round by the end of the year. And most importantly to Kwame, they've planted over 2 million trees and are serving over 5,000 women and family farmers across Ghana, three quarters of whom are among the poorest 25% of the country. For Professor Brian Lowry, the usual metrics of success matter, but personal fulfillment is also about how a leader chooses to live their life. Sure, there are targets. You know, I, I want to have 30 million in revenue or whatever. That's, but the reality is, in my mind, almost all those things end up being small compared to what is possible. And so just thinking about what are you trying to achieve? What do you value in making decisions that are as best you can in service of those things? And then almost certainly, the, my, my assumption is you'll end up someplace you're happy about. The future may not be knowable to Kwame, but he has chosen how to live his life with great purpose and to trust where that will take him and his company. Remember his jar of ashes? There's a reason that he still keeps it on his desk. I made that request to our team because I knew that um, we could either let this crisis define us and paralyze us, um, or every day when I wake up, I can look at that jar and say, hey, I believe that um, one, there's a loving God out there who, is, who loves what we're doing, loves seeing people improve their livelihoods, and is gonna work for us and for our good. And two, I believe that there's a community of people out there who believe that we can rise from the ashes. And so this jar is just gonna be this physical symbol of those two truths for me. No matter what I feel overwhelmed by, I need to remind myself um, that new life can rise out of the ashes. This has been Grit and Growth with Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us to share the stories of these incredible entrepreneurs with as many people as possible. If you would like to hear more from Professor Lowry, check out his new podcast, Know What You See, where Brian speaks with people from a wide range of backgrounds, from activists to business leaders, architects to street artists, about their own experiences with race and power. To learn how Stanford Graduate School of Business is partnering with entrepreneurs throughout Africa and South Asia, head over to the Stanford Seed website at seed.stanford.edu slash podcast. Grit and Growth is a podcast by Stanford Seed. Lori Fuller researched and developed content for this episode with additional research by Jeff Prickett. Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator, and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves. With writing and production from Isabel Pollard and Andrew Gannam, and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.